The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Hello, season's greetings and welcome to The Drinking Hour. This is episode 39. We're less than a year old, so this is our first festive special our first Christmas. It'll be like uh, hearing Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas for the very first time. We're celebrating with two regulars and firm favourites, Freddie Bulmer and Joel Harrison, as we look back at 2021, the pandemic, the shipping crisis, our tasting highlights, uh, what we might like for Christmas, drinks-wise, and our predictions for trends in 2022. Plus, of course, we'll look back at our IWSC judging highlights. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. When 2021 began, most of us looked back at 2020 and said good riddance. Some of us went to bed before midnight on New Year's Eve as the year began with a lockdown, which turned out to be as strict and as long as the first one earlier that year. Surely the only way was up. Well, uh, pandemics don't necessarily pan out the way you might expect them to, with Omicron the latest word in our coronavirus lexicon that grows longer uh, by the month. Thankfully, uh, most of us have been back at work and some of us have even managed some travel. So let's reflect on 2021 and look ahead to 2022 with two regular voices on the drinking hour. Freddie Bulmer is the buyer for Australia, New Zealand, Eastern Europe and Austria at the Wine Society. And Joel Harrison is spirits columnist at Club Logique. He's also a keeper of the Quake, uh, whiskey's uh, highest honour, a musketeer d'Armagnac and a member of the Gin Guild as well to keep him busy. Uh, both are trophy judges alongside me at the IWSC. Uh, Joel for spirits and Freddie for wine, along with myself. And they are trophy guests as well. Um, Freddie and Joel, um, welcome to the Drinking Hour Festive Special. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, looking forward to it. Um, so let's talk, first of all, about uh, the year that we've uh, all had. None of us are scientists, of course, but who'd have thought we'd be back here a year later? Yes, <laughs> it's been it's been a year of up and downs, hasn't it? It's been a tricky old one, certainly uh, for for me and my sort of buying uh, activities. It's been quite unusual. It's obviously been well. I haven't done any travel. I know some people have managed to get out there and do bits and bobs, but uh, it's certainly brought its own challenges. But also, I think its own opportunities, which is quite nice. And Joel, um, what about you? You have managed a bit of travel, haven't you? Yeah, travel is a is just a major part of of what I do. Getting out to see producers around the world to learn a lot more and it was the great the late great Michael Jackson the beer and whiskey writer who who once said never write about try not to write about anywhere you've not been to and so sort of to have that ripped away that experiential end of what we do you know yes you can you can experience places in a bottle but it's much more visceral when you're actually there. And Freddie um, just talk about how important uh, traveling is to wine buying. Yeah, yeah, it's it's vital, really. Um, I mean, as as Joel quite rightly says, you shouldn't really write about somewhere you haven't been, and you shouldn't really buy wines from somewhere you haven't been either. Um, you know, it's it, there is no better way to learn about and to understand a wine and and winemaker than actually getting out there and and uh, sort of experiencing it firsthand. So it's definitely something that I've 
I've missed. I mean, we've obviously all uh, made do and, and um, changed the way that we work in order to, to continue doing things as best we can, obviously, but uh, you really can't replace the travel. Um, I'm, I'm so excited to get back on a plane at some point. <laughs> Yeah, well, I've managed to do that a little bit, uh, nothing like as much as I, I have done previously, but I have managed uh, a few press trips. But I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't envy anyone who tries to organise anything uh, in this day and age uh, with uh, the pandemic, because you just don't know uh, what's going to happen, whether the trip itself is going to happen um, and uh, the kind of restrictions that will exist when you do. So, uh, Joel, it is almost impossible to plan anything right now, isn't it? It is. I mean, from a from a spirit's point of view, very lucky that, that I live on an island that has such a richness of spirits, history and spirits production, be it kind of the gins down here in London or in the sort of uh, across across England and even now the gin production in Scotland. But of course, Scotch whiskey and English whiskey now, too, but Scotch whiskey as well. And, and uh, you know, I can jump in the car and in five or six hours be across the border and visiting some fantastic producers of, of Scotch whiskey. So I, I feel pretty blessed that um, I've been able to be self-contained in, in that respect. But yeah, I really have missed the travel. I've missed meeting people and the passion that you feel when you meet producers. And you realise why they do what they do. And it's, you know, and, 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 and that just adds so much richness to any bottle of, of, of alcohol, really. Yeah, Freddie, you've talked about this before. Uh, when mm. you travel, um, it's the stories, the people uh, that are so important to the drink, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's really those little nuggets of information that you pick up when you're traveling, which make all the difference. And normally for me, you know, if I was going to go on a trip to uh, Austria or well, anywhere I, I work with, it's it's the little kind of discussions that you have before you get into the wine tasting that you, that you can't really replicate um, over Zoom or over email or whatever. It's much more uh, a sort of a functional discussion that you have when you're doing it over Zoom. So that's what I'm really missing. It's the it's the gossip. <laughs> it's the gossip. It's <laughs> the who's saying what about who and what the little themes are that you pick out that, um, yeah, that is, is so important to, to travel for, really. Well, we yeah. all enjoy a bit of gossip, but um, oh, is do. it really the case that <laughs> that you could be, um, I, I might be sort of romanticising it, maybe, but you could be driving along a road in, in let's say, Austria, because that's one of the markets mm. uh, that you buy from, and that you might pop into a winery, discover some wines, and a year year later they're in the the list of the wine society is it is it is it kind of potentially that straightforward well i i do you want the romantic answer that's maybe not quite true or the real answer <laughs> uh, well so, maybe we can have both <laughs> okay sure sure <laughs> so i think uh, i mean I, i've never just sort of cold called if you like but there might have been as little as just an email beforehand saying, look, actually, I, I've come across your wines, um, whether it's in a magazine or, you know, recommended by someone else. And I'm going to be in Austria on this date. And do you mind if I swing by and uh, and sort of pop in that way? Um, and that very often, I mean, it can yield fantastic results. And actually, one thing which is uh, a nice way of uh, of discovering something new 
for us at the wine society is quite often we get members writing in saying i've just been on holiday to such and such a place and i found this winery and it was wonderful and you really should check it out and actually yeah, quite often i'll go yeah do you know what i will because you don't know you just don't know what opportunities there might be you know you've got to turn over a few stones in order to find out what's going on underneath um and and yeah absolutely you know you can pop in and, and meet someone for the first time in their winery you know in their their domain quite literally uh, and actually discover something amazing which yeah may well end up on our on our list uh, even a few months later so that's a really really exciting kind of element of the job as well i think just making those discoveries and of course you know you've got to kiss a few frogs before you find a prince but um, when you do find a prince then oh boy is he a handsome one it's wonderful and exciting it's great <laughs> I'm not sure we should be kissing anyone at the moment, to be honest. Well, no, that's true. Uh, <laughs> poor poor, it, poor uh, choice you, of term. You will literally you know, be open to the idea of listing a, a wine from any producer, will you? If a, if a member has tasted something somewhere that isn't represented in the UK or, or might mm. be represented, but by someone else, uh, mm. you, you are open to those kind of ideas, are you? Yeah, I mean, look, you've got to be sensible. Um, I'm always open to going... Do you know what? Let's try it. Let's see. Uh, I, I try the wine. I mean, not just sort of leap straight into listing it, obviously. But yeah, I, I think that you've got to do your research. Obviously, you've got to be careful of who you're working with. Uh, you know, one thing which is a hot topic for us at the moment, in particular, is is the the sort of the um, CSR, the you know your impact on the environment and so on. And so, if there was somebody who was recommended to me and I might try the wine and go, oh, the wine's delicious, but it turns out that they're, you know, just burning tires for the fun of it, then uh, maybe I would, um, I would reconsider. Uh, but, but generally speaking, I always like to start things with an, with an open mind. Absolutely. And Joel, what about you? Uh, and you do a, a slightly different job, obviously, to the, the one that uh, Freddie does. But um, do you find yourself um, kind of making discoveries and sometimes um, helping um, brands, new discoveries to, to, to kind of get listed or to, to get into the kind of public conscience? Yeah, absolutely. My, you know, my job is to, to, to be the, the, the microphone, the megaphone, if you like, between producer and consumer and, and to sort of highlight what's out there. Um, and, and vice versa. I always feel that with the IWSC is, is one of the, the, the jobs as a judge there is to ensure that the consumer is buying something that they're going to love, you know, and, and, and the worst thing is, is, is introducing people to products that, that you know you love, but maybe isn't to their taste. So that is, that's a major part of my job. And, and, Doing that in spirits, it's harder in a category like Scotch whiskey because the single malt uh, producers are very well established. The blends are sort of household names. Um, it's a little bit easier in the world of gin because there are now so many gin producers. Um, I think there's a sort of there's a phrase now in London. If you're in East London, you're you're no more than three meters away from a hipster gin producer. I very good, but um, but uh, that's uh, that, that you know. So 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 the sort of wild west of, of gin, people need navigating through that. And and my job as a writer, as an author, as a presenter, as a communicator, as a judge, is to help. You know, like speed dating, is to help people find the right products that they can go on a nice date with. Um, the one that I do love the most in terms of, I think it's probably the most like Freddie's job, it's most like wine, is Armagnac because Armagnac is such a visceral region that's full of tiny farmhouse producers. And that is the sort of place where, you know, I've trundled past a sign that says foie gras and armagnac for sale and you go down the driveway and you end up just having foie gras and armagnac for lunch, you know, and um, and and you, you fall in love with these producers. And there, there was one particular one called Aranson where I was at armagnac and, and came across this family where two the son and the daughter had, had married each other from two 
adjacent farms, both farms which had a uh, an Armagnac house, and they could have combined these Armagnac houses, and and the product, of the, you know, the, the quality of the product is just fantastic. And you sort of stumble into these garages, and they've got barrels or demijohns of Armagnac from the 1800s and early 1900s lying around, and and that for me is that's the that's the love joy element of it. That's the sort of you know get, getting your getting your hands dirty and finding really interesting new producers. But yes, it's only certain with spirits. It's only certain places, and it tends to be the more farmhouse areas of Europe where you where you get that. I tell you, that must have been one hell of a wedding. Those two <laughs> army that families. <laughs> I'd love to a bit of that. Yeah, yeah, there'd be some amazing. banging hangovers after that. Yeah, joy. I do think one of the great things, though, that Fred has highlighted is, is this getting out. You know, that it's, it's terroir is so much more than soil. You know, it is oh, people, yeah, that's so it true. is culture. You know, and that, and that's the thing. And you have to get out and you have to understand that. And then, you know, on top of that, there are many nice regions around the world that make alcohol. And, and you know, in the same way that you can have a business meeting that's also a party, you can have a holiday <laughs> that's also a business trip. Or at least that's what I tell my accountant. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I completely agree. From from my own perspective, uh, we have got uh, we've had to get quite used to virtual tastings as journalists to uh, Zoom tastings, effectively, where you get these mini sample bottles. It's uh, an expensive thing to do. I applaud those people who uh, got off their asses and, and and went and did something alternative because it was quite obvious we weren't going to be travelling anywhere. Uh, so it was great. It was a lifeline, in fact. So I'm very grateful for it. But I'm also very glad to potentially see the back of it as well because it is just not the same um tasting from mini sample bottles uh, throws up its own issues um quality wise sometimes but also you just uh, to echo what you just uh, both said actually you've just you've got to be there haven't you you've got to see uh the terroir you've got to immerse yourself in it and you have to meet the people um, whose passion it is too, don't you? Yes, you do. You know, it's really, really important. It's, I think inspiration kind of, you know, rubs off as well. And when you're actually surrounding yourself in the same room uh, uh, with with people who, you know, in my instance, uh, producing these amazing wines that reflect the the region or their family's philosophy or, and so on. And I know it'll be the, the same um, with uh, Joel and, and Spirits. It's that, that inspiration you, that you feel from them. You can't really replicate that over Zoom very easily. Um, it's just, you don't get the sort of the romanticism. You know, I'm a sucker for the romanticism of the whole thing. And yeah, you, you can't replicate that in a, in, in a, well, what is, as I was saying before, a very sort of transactional way of, of doing things. So yeah, it's, uh, you've just got me longing now to, to get out <laughs> on a trip again. And I'm feeling really sad now, Dave. No, not really. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, no, it's, it's a magical thing. We're really lucky to, to be a part of it. And, you know, I think also from my point of view, the uh, challenge with these online tastings where you get your little miniatures uh, and you sit on your own in, in literal isolation in some senses uh, and, and taste through watching someone on the screen is you don't have the ability also to easily kind of confer a little bit with the person next to you or say, well, what do you think of this one? You know, you can't you can't have that little sort of yeah. naughty little chat on the back row saying, oh, this one's really good, isn't it? Oh, I'm not so sure about this because you, you're just you, you're just on your own. It's it's not the same at all. And I was lucky enough to go to a, a tasting just the other day, actually, which was definitely a step in the right direction. It was a really good tasting, which was at um, 67 Palmau with a load of Clare Valley wine producers from Australia. And they were they were sort of live streaming in. But there was a room of us uh, all, all together and tasting from, you know, full bottles. And that was quite a nice compromise because you did still have that kind of team spirit of sitting there and tasting with other people. 
but uh, but obviously, you know, still didn't have the winemaker sort of quite in the room. So it was definitely yeah. a step in the right direction. It does work well. I did that with a Dow tasting. Uh, oh yeah, um, okay. A California producer a couple of uh, months ago, and it was uh, it was uh, it, it was good. And yeah, we were we were together having a shared mm. experience from full bottles. It was definitely the uh, a step in the right direction. Um, Joel, um, I guess you are probably more familiar with smaller sample bottles because you get sent sort of million pound cognacs or whatever i, I guess this is kind of less of a, a less of an issue for you is it yes it's it's, it's always been um a sort of a de rigueur thing with the spirits industry to send out small samples sort of anywhere between sort of two and a half to, to five cl uh, um uh, so you can sort of taste it at your leather your leisure in your leather armchair you know sort of sitting <laughs> back as as people would imagine we do as spirits writers you know sitting sitting in our libraries with our with our cognac glasses and what have you but um no i've i it, 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 yeah, and I've always had a sort of um, constant flow through the letterbox of small samples to the point that sort of people come around the house and they they ask me if I'm okay. I'm like, are you ill? All these samples lying around. It's like, no, no, no. They're, they're, the, 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 the coloured liquid in those is, is very much alcoholic and very much to be drunk. But I had to um, I had to purchase a uh, a new item for my for my study, which was like um, from a, from the famous Swedish furniture supermarket. Um, a three tiered. Uh, I think it's a, a trolley for sort of herbs and spices for the kitchen. And it basically is full of tiny sample bottles. And so they go in in a sort of certain system and I sit down in my chair next to them and I, I sit down with my notepad and I make my way through them. But um, yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, be that on a Zoom call or just be that in my own time. But what you miss, uh, and I'm sure that the two of you would totally agree, was I, I think I did my first distillery trip of the year in, in about, my first proper distillery trip for about nine months um, in August, I think it was. I went up to, to Tamdu Distillery in, in Speyside in Scotland. And I remember walking into the warehouse and it was the smell of the earthen floor and these moist barrels maturing mm. away and the oak and, and the whiskey and the sort of whatever was in, in the barrels beforehand, the, be it port or be it sherry or be it American uh, whiskey, uh, you know, with the, with the dampness of the atmosphere. And it was just that smell that I'd missed walking oh, into God. a warehouse, you know, forget, forget drinking anything, you know, it was just, it's just the aromas of being yeah. at a distillery that were just... Oh, phenomenal! I wish someone would, someone would make a candle of it so I could burn it. You can't you, you can't so. bottle it, can you? You <laughs> can't. Well, you can't <laughs> it, no. well, it's a useful, um, evocative description, um, as ever, Joel. Although not as evocative as the thought of you and your tasting in your leather. Uh, which <laughs> we'll have to leave for um, late the late night drinking hour. Um, which uh, we can do. Uh, as a, as yes, a I was going to say. I think I think that's a misquote of, of uh, yes, yes, uh, yes, quite a yes, portion yes. there. Yes. Um, yes. So so um, so on a sort of on a happier note, as you've you've um, shifted us there, uh, Joel. Um, hmm. What what um, um, Freddie? What what are your sort of um, tasting discoveries of the year in these trying times? God, do you know, I've been very lucky, actually, um, and ironically, that given that Australia is the furthest country away, pretty much, or one of the two, along with New Zealand, that I, that I work with, um, I've actually made some fantastic Australian discoveries, which has been great. And it was a lot of it happens by chance. You know, someone just happens to, to drop you a line and say, look, we make these wines, and I wondered if you might be interested in talking. And, and as I was saying before, you know, it's why I like to have sort of an open mind and say, OK, sure, let's have a chat, because you never know what you're going to discover. And there's a couple of wineries that have really stood out for me this year from Australia, actually both from the Barossa and purely by coincidence, just around the corner from each other and both very old friends, um, which is a, a one winery called Whistler. 
and it's a chap called Sam Pfeiffer and it's a second generation family winery and they make just the most wonderfully fresh and vibrant wines from the Barossa so not really a stereotypical sort of style for that part of Australia uh, and the other is a winery called Forage uh, well their full name is Forage Supply Co um, and is a, a chap called Scott Rogash and uh, they actually have a really really interesting story and it was something that I found quite inspiring because they make again very I guess you could say new wave uh, Barossan wines it's all about early picking and so on and the wines are designed for early drinking and they're really fun but what I found quite inspiring about that winery is that they also do a lot of work with um, the local homeless people basically they, they provide work for for people and then they also help to fund a project where they build what would you call it, it was basically small small houses sort of non-permanent residences i guess um to to help the the uh, local homeless community kind of reintegrate back into society and and it's just really amazing to be able to a uh, you know see wineries doing this sort of work it goes back to the kind of the csr corporate social responsibility thing i kind of alluded to earlier but B, I think it's quite remarkable to still be able to discover people doing stuff like this at a time when you you know you can't get out there and uh, go and do the kind of the groundwork. So it really has been a feeling of um, sort of luck and chance and and coming together of uh, 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 of sort of like-minded people, yeah. I guess, in a way. So right. no, it's been it's been really nice. It's been a good year for that actually, which is surprising. And these quite. are wines that uh, will be in the society. Uh, list obviously i'm guessing uh, yes yeah so the whistler ones uh, so i actually found whistler earlier on so we've been working with them since earlier this year uh and forage uh are a much more recent discovery and their wines are coming in in uh they're gonna be launched in march next year so they've um it's kind of been a slightly staggered introduction between the two of them but um but yeah so there's lots of exciting things to come Great. It's somewhat ironic that um, the country, uh, other than New Zealand, furthest away from yeah. us, um, is the country that uh, you, you've had this, you've made this, you know, this um, hugely fulfilling kind of progress with yeah. uh, during a pandemic year, when, of course, yeah. um, you could scarcely leave the country, let alone go anywhere near Australia, because we've been banned uh, from Australia for, for most yes. of the last year. So how on earth do you go about doing all that you normally do uh, without going near Australia? Do you know, it's, it, it is difficult. It takes a lot more legwork uh, and, and there's a lot more admin, I suppose, not being able to get out there. Because, of course, when you go out there, you can go and see a number of producers a day. You know, I might go out to Australia for, for, for a couple of weeks or something like that, for example. So you manage to fit in a lot of people, have a lot of conversations and taste a lot of wines uh, fairly in a fairly straightforward way. But it's been a, a, a lot of um, requesting samples to be sent over because, of course, you know, being committed to quality of course um and, and and you know the fact i don't want to as joe as joel was saying earlier i don't want to recommend anything to anyone that actually i don't genuinely sort of believe i should be recommending um i've got to taste everything so there's a lot of samples being sent over so i've been tripping over boxes and bottles and things for quite a long time now um so, and, and i mean that's one key thing but really uh, there has been an element of luck I think it's probably fair to say. So with the Australians, both of these producers that I was just talking about, they sort of found the wine society in one way or another. Or I mean, certainly with Whistler, there was a um, a friend of Sam at Whistler who I believe works for Craggy Range, who we 
have worked with for a long time, Craggy Range in New Zealand. And he said, look, I know you work with them and, and he's a good guy. And I wondered if you wouldn't mind looking at our wines. And so he kind of approached me. And what was interesting was just seeing that we, even over email, kind of clicked and communicated on the same sort of wavelength because i mean i'm sure it's no surprise to either of you chaps but you know email isn't always the best way to communicate because you don't get a sense of someone's tone of voice or, or sometimes points can be missed and so on but we were kind of on the same wavelength and that really really helped because you know especially with australia it's not easy to really to just pick up the phone even because of the time difference um and then yeah with with forage it was a matter of me knowing that i needed to find something that was exciting and new from australia so i wanted something that was kind of representative of this new wave of fine wines that they're producing and i just reached out to a few contacts and um uh, a chap that, uh, that I think you both probably know, Gus Gluck, has a good guy with a lot of Australian contacts. He said, oh, you should try getting Ooh. in touch with these guys. Um, and so I did. And, and, and just by chance, they were friends with Sam at, at Whistler and they kind of clicked as well and they got what we were all about and 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 it was it was fantastic there was a real kind of sense of to use a really annoying marketing word synergy synergy um so so yeah so it hasn't been it hasn't been the easiest for sure you can't as we said before and Daniel, i i keep banging on about it but you can't replicate the getting out there and and seeing people firsthand it just makes everything so much more easy but we've been able to to make do you know, I, I think you do notice, and uh, Joel, I'd be interested to hear if it's the same for you, but I, I have noticed that by not going out there, you don't have the sense of there being quite the same amount of opportunities or there is a little bit of a lack of inspiration for what that next story might be. But, you know, we find we find ways to kind of get on with it and, and still get delicious drinks into people's houses. And that's the main thing. Joel, uh, what about your year? What are your discoveries of this year because you've um you've still been keeping yourself um as busy as before just in a different way i think that's right isn't it yeah and to sort of answer freddie's point there with with something like whiskey for example gin is you know white spirits are slightly different but with something like whiskey um there is a there's such a, a lot of long-term planning that goes into new product development and new releases so you know if you're going to be putting out a, a 38 year old single malt scotch that the planning behind that has probably been 18 months long so we're still actually in, in that sort of long tail of releases that were maybe planned pre-pandemic to, to, to some extent some of them um the <clears throat> the industry right at the start took a little bit of flack um not from me but from from i, I you know because i know uh, how some of these sort of uh, cogs work and how slowly these cogs work but there was a few sort of high value bottles that came out just after the sort of locked first lockdown and and a few people were saying well goodness me there's lots of bars shut and lots of restaurants shut and lots of people losing their jobs how can you be selling bottles of whiskey for sixty thousand pounds but but the reality is that as, as these drinks companies came back and said is that you know selling these turns a profit and it keeps our distilleries open it keeps people in business it keeps it keeps everybody in a job and and i think that's the that's the pure cogs of economy isn't it and I, and and for me it's it that's gone away very quickly that argument and i've still had a good flow through of um well-aged products products that have been well thought, thought through um uh expansions on ranges uh, limited editions which always work well to to underpin um uh, certain sort of uh certain brands and so yeah for me it's it, it it's been nice it's it's 
the one thing that's really gone through the roof a bit is the is the packaging in which these samples arrive because normally <laughs> uh, normally they sort of come just sort of in a in a padded envelope and and you get a little kind of glass bottle but they're now coming in ever more elaborate bottles and I think for me the saddest moment for, was I went to the tasting of an incredible whiskey very very rare um, Yamazaki fifty five year old. Only 200 bottles released over two years, 100 bottles each year between uh, 2020 and 2021. Um, and it was bottled uh, ostentatiously to, to, to celebrate the Olympics in, in Japan, which obviously was, ah. was delayed. And um, but these, you know, you, uh, there's a bottle at Claridge's, for example, and if you want to go there for a, for a wee dram, it's something like £25,000 for a measure of, the, of this whiskey. But I was invited <laughs> to a very lovely, yeah, I was, I was invited to a very lovely dinner in a, in a sort of Japanese inspired house in North London where there was only about sort of eight of us journalists huddled around a, a, a lovely sushi dinner um, uh, but halfway through it they said of course you know if we weren't here now we'd, we'd have taken you to the distillery in Japan and your heart sinks a little bit <laughs> but equally your heart raises a lot when you when you then stick your nose in the glass and you get to try this phenomenally rare incredibly well-aged and, and beautifully packaged uh, uh, whiskey so yeah it's it's uh, it, it's not really had a huge effect I think it's had a bigger effect on on gin production and people, you know, where where I think a lot of these smaller gin distilleries, you know, gin in the UK has become a little bit like real ale. You know, you can go into your local pub and you can drink your local gin. And a lot of these gins are, you know, becoming quite big fishes in small ponds. But that's the that's the length of their ambition. And that's fantastic in the same way that, you know, here in Windsor, we've got a brilliant brewery, the Windsor and Eaton Brewery. You can buy their products in the local uh, supermarkets, but their, their ambition isn't really to go beyond this small sort of part of Berkshire. And, and that's nice. And, and I think there's a lot of gin distillers who are doing that these days, but I think they've suffered because there's been less people coming into their, their counties. There's been, you know, some of them run tours and, and, and get people into their distillery to do bespoke gin blending. I think all that's gone. And you're left then with a sort of shakedown of the, some of the bigger brands, some of the more, more established, um, uh, you know, you'd be Tanqueray's and, and number threes and all these sorts of stuff that, that people go to. But people's home consumption has gone up and people are making more cocktails at home. They're looking for better products to do that with. And that for me has been the real the real kind of uh, Philip of, uh, of lockdown is people's knowledge and education when it comes to drinking spirits and mixing spirits into cocktails has really gone up. And I think that's a great thing. We've, we've, we've finally thrown off the shackles of this Victorian ideal we have in this, in this country, that spirits are terrible and they're, you know, they're evil and goodness me that, you know, all drinking cocktails is, is a naughty thing to do. So actually the European <laughs> ideal of, of spirits are fine. They're just part of your, 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 your drinking journey. You know, digestif is okay. And aperitif is okay. It can bookend drinking wine brilliantly and you can mix up great cocktails at home, which is a much more European way of drinking. And I think we've become much more European in our, in our, in our way of drinking during the pandemic, I think. Is there anyone at home who doesn't now know how to mix a Negroni? I mean, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> apart from Stanley Tucci, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, controversial. <laughs> I mean, Joel, uh, yeah, you've highlighted this. I mean, it is absolutely massive, this cocktails at home thing, this idea this that we basically got locked in our houses. Fortunately, we could still either go to the shop or, or get things delivered. Uh, and so we basically just decided to do, uh, do it ourselves, didn't we? 
We did. And, I, and for me, this is brilliant. It's, you know, I'm sure Freddie remembers a time when you would you would go into a restaurant and ask for the, the wine list and the wine list was red or white. You know, and now, yes. now we're, in a, we're, we're in a day and age. I went to a great restaurant up in Marlowe called The Oarsman, which has just, just opened. And they've, they've got a fantastic, you know, it, you wouldn't say it's a fine, fine wine restaurant, but they have all of their wines available by the glass. And maybe the Coravan has changed that. And this idea that you can have an expanded wine list. People want to know, you know, what you've got on your wine list and they want to see stuff from California mm. and Australia and, and England and other places. And, you know, spirits has, spirits has gone that way too. And I think... Um, I, I, I just love the fact that people are hungry for knowledge. They're hungry to make stuff at home. You look at the latest Jamie Oliver book. I mean, how well-timed it is or otherwise. Called, it's called Together, about get, getting together. That's got a whole chapter <laughs> in it on, on making cocktails at home, which is, you know, when someone like Jamie Oliver's doing that, you know that there's been a sea change. And I think that's that's fantastic. And it's just great to see. I'd uh, take many things from Jamie Oliver, certainly uh, food-wise. I'm not sure um, I he'd be my go-to for a, a cocktail recipe but then i i haven't looked at one so i should i should probably try one and then uh, and then make a, make a judgment um freddie uh, the wine society has been um in in many respects a, a kind of um pandemic winner uh, in that uh, it's quite difficult to say that when you're talking about something that's called <laughs> loss of life and all the rest of it yeah, but in business terms um it's you know the, the the society's numbers went through the roof uh, during the respective lockdowns didn't they yeah, we have been really, really lucky. You know, I've been I've been thanking my lucky stars basically uh, since this whole thing began because I know that uh, you know I've been far more fortunate than than a lot of other people have been. Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously I really feel for the for the hospitality industry, and uh, I, I'm a lover of restaurants and I'm a lover of going out to eat and drink and so on. But um, so I, yeah, really feel for them. But we've been very, very fortunate and goes back to Joel's point really about people sort of exploring more at home under their own steam and we've really seen the the um, literal thirst I guess for for good wine uh, from from our members and and actually we've gained many many thousands of more members actually over the lockdown as well so we're now communicating to and selling to a far bigger group of uh, enthusiasts than we than we were previously but I think it's also, yeah, been really, really nice to see that people have sort of taken an interest. They found that they've got a bit more disposable income, perhaps. They've got a bit more time, certainly. And they've gone, well, do you know what? I'm going to explore and I'm going to try new things and, and you know, buy that bottle of wine that I'd thought about buying but never had done previously and so on. And and I think that's wonderful because I, I really feel that that's going to have transformed the way that people uh, approach wine and, and of course spirits as well and beers and, and things as well actually you know i think it's applicable across the board and previous to this really i think for a lot of people probably the the times that they would actually buy and drink wine would have most frequently been in a restaurant so they're at the mercy of what's on the list or, or uh yeah how the list is how the list is organized again joel going back to to your point you know i think that there were lots of lists that were here's the white wines and there's six and here's the red wines and there's six and you know if, if that's how you're buying your wine then you're immediately limited by what's on offer but now people have gone home they've instead gone online you know even on our website we've got well over a thousand different wines that you can browse and choose from the the options suddenly are, are almost endless really and so i think that then that's really going to have helped to to educate people people will probably come out of of the pandemic hopefully having found a new favorite wine that they hadn't even tried 
beforehand and no, i think that's wonderful it's really exciting and yeah we've we've been so lucky it really has felt like we've been able to kind of be there to help people along on their kind of drinking uh, exploring sort of journey which is wonderful so so yeah i couldn't have been in a in a better place really which is great and Joel, um, is this like when you go to the pub uh, and you you fancy a, a spirit? Um, is this something that you've um, noticed um, a, a, a sea change in? Because um, I get this sort of sense now when I go to uh, my local pub where I am today in the Cotswolds, and there'll there'll be Cotswolds gin, um, and there'll be uh, possibly other kind of locally sourced um, uh, spirit products. Um, certainly the whiskey as well from the Cotswolds distillery um, in uh, behind the bar. Um, I don't remember it being like that kind of 10 or 15 years ago. You know, the, it, the, the spirits shelf always seemed to be quite sort of uniform with those big brands. Yeah, with, with, with gin, we've got a lot to thank, I think, the, the tonics for to start with, because um you know when fever tree came along they they, they brought with them a, an additional bit of flavor and, and a tightening up of their of their ingredients list which has been replicated across the board now by by all the different tonics out there um and they've obviously want to sell their tonics so so they need good gins to go with it and then you see this idea of gin being pulled away from the sort of doily brigade the afternoon tea the cucumber sandwiches into actually being something quite interesting the use of interesting ingredients flavor coming back to the fore um you know really kick-started in the late 1990s by uh, bombay sapphire and then the early early 2000s by by hendrix and you know those those two brands kept at it they kept knocking at the door and knocking at the door and knocking at the door and then we sort of saw the floodgates open and and the quality of gin now is is fantastic and and the reach of it is amazing i was i was down uh, walking through my local town uh, in the summer there was a, a, a during the sort of the, the football uh, craze that we had this summer and there was a large group of uh, of men who looked like they should be drinking uh you know lager or ale and you know half of them were drinking gin and tonic and i heard one of them say to the other one um gosh i, I can only really drink you know premium tonics these days and i thought this is this is you, <laughs> oh this is bizarre this is, this is very this is very fever dream indeed. yeah yeah exactly so you know but it's, it, it is phenomenal and and i think what it comes down to is taste you know whether it's discovering new grape varieties, whether it's discovering new gins, whether it's discovering new cocktails. It's all about finding something that's tasty. And mm. I think once you find something that's tasty, uh, you know, people like it. And if it, if it makes its way into the public zeitgeist and people go, yeah, actually this is, you know, I'm not going to look daft drinking this. And I think the one that's really kind of the most bizarre one, and I'd love to see a uh, a socio-economic um, uh, a piece written on this is pink gin because pink gin has just taken the world by storm and and why because it's it's tasty you know does it matter that it's pink and comes with bits of fruit floating in it not really you know and you can have a few of them down the pub or a few of them at home and, and I think that's the, you know nothing wrong with that it's it's great but the nice thing about gin is it, it's almost a gateway spirit because yes you have your gin and tonic and that's very tasty but as you quite rightly pointed out David you can move on to a, a Negroni which I always call the drinks right to drink because the dilution comes from ice the mixer is ice and uh, <laughs> I like that. um, that's good and, and 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 of course the martini and then people will go well i've got a, i've got three bottles of gin at home now i've got my gin and tonic gin i've got my martini gin and i've got my negroni gin and then they start experimenting with a bee's knees or a gimlet and you know and, and it's great it's fantastic to see and that's where people start to have a portfolio in their in their drinks cabinet and uh, and it doesn't just it's not just a bottle of you know a gordon's that gets opened once or twice a year 
know, when granny comes around. And for me, this it's brilliant. It's brilliant. As, as long as it's done responsibly and sensibly, um, there is nothing wrong with, with spirits and wines becoming even more of a social lubricant than, than, than they are. You're absolutely right to highlight um, that um, sort of change in, in perceptions, that uh, um, change in, in attitude. Um, I remember back in uh, the, uh, the European Championships, um, being uh, walking along the river uh, along the Thames and popping into one of the riverside pubs. And there was a table outside of, um, of sort of, I suppose you'd say geezers, really, who are quite noisy, quite loud. <laughs> and I kind of, um, I was walking behind one of them who'd got in to get around, um, and, uh, uh, or, or at least to, uh, to, I think probably you had to order outside, so maybe just to summon the list. But uh, I found a member of staff and said, excuse me, which, uh, uh, excuse me, which Provence rosés have you got? And I just thought that was not what <laughs> that, was that was not what I was expecting. Uh, but it was a beautiful Amazing. sunny day, and and why not? And it was it was wonderful. Um, something really? less wonderful uh, has been the shipping crisis, uh, oh, the God. general logistics um, sort of mayhem uh, caused by I think a number of different factors. Um, Freddie, uh, tell us what this has done. It's caused me to have more grey hairs than I did previously and uh, a constant headache, to be honest with you. Um, but that's not the worst of it, amazingly. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a real pain. It's been really it's been a really tricky thing that's that's um, well, I mean, we started to see the the effects of it fairly early on in, in the pandemic, but it's really been at its worst, I think, this year uh, and quite frankly i suppose um it just means that things are taking an absolute age to to arrive i mean previous to uh, the shipping issues uh, we could order something from australia let's say and you could be pretty certain it could be in our warehouse within eight weeks uh you know that would even give us a bit of a buffer now you you have to order so far in advance i mean we had um a, we've got a selection of Australian wines going out in March. And in order to make sure that they were going to arrive on time, and uh, I can't even guarantee that they are, but we had to get our orders placed back in October uh, to try and make sure that things are going to get here on time. I mean, it's just, it's a logistical nightmare. Uh, it's causing so much more work. And it's, I mean, there's a number of factors that are causing it. There's a shortage of people. There's containers stocked, uh, stacked up on uh, in dockyards, you know, not going anywhere. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's, a, a, I, I think also the um, increased uh, complexity, let's say, of paperwork that has to now be completed has also pay, played its part. So it's, uh, it's not fun and games, but, you know, it certainly is making me drink more if nobody else. So <laughs> It must be <laughs> impacting cost as well, because we saw the other, yeah. uh, the other day that inflation is now above five um, percent. Uh, certainly, uh, CPI is anyway. I think. Um, I, I mean, uh, it must be really driving up um, costs and therefore prices. I read somewhere that just um, the, the actual wooden pallet, the kind of thing that you you kind of chop up and stick on mm. the fire, potentially, uh, even they've kind of tripled in price or something it sounds like it's insane price wise it, it really is insane price wise and because it's affecting basically every shipping company out there they kind of have a monopoly over everybody else now in a way um which is difficult i mean obviously we're doing our absolute best to to continually negotiate prices with the shippers that we use and uh generally speaking we're doing a pretty damn good job of, of you know managing any pricing changes or anything like that so uh 
yeah, it's it's not it's not easy though. But for sure, we're seeing uh, price increases not in, even just in the in the wine industry, but across the world in in pretty much every industry. I mean, it's it's getting more expensive to ship absolutely everything. Uh, you know, we're not using wine specific shippers. Um, you know, on a container ship, it's got a container of wine. It might also have a container of sofas and a container of something else and something else. And so it's something which is going to, if it's not already, it's going to affect all of us across every pretty much everything that we buy that comes from overseas so it's um it's a it's a major challenge so yeah it's it's um it's not it's not ideal let's put it that way and joel is this something that you're seeing impacting that the spirits world in the same way thankfully not yet uh you know spirits it, it, it it's less reactive in that reset in that in that sense we're not kind of bowed by vintages and all this sort of stuff so a lot of the spirits that are coming in here you know like i say are produced here anyway so you've got uh scotch whiskey and and and, and british gins obviously the dry goods the bottlings the packaging all that sort of stuff that is having an impact but the spirits industry you know our biggest foe we are cowed so heavily by taxation and that and that's that that's uh, that's our, our our biggest our biggest threat always has been our biggest threat and you know when you buy a bottle of 17 pound gin i think you know like something like 12 quid of it is 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 tax if if not more so the profit margins are very thin and, and, and you know we're, we're helping to, to to keep the coffers alive by, by buying spirits but um shipping not it hasn't had such a big impact i think if you're going to look at future trends uh, such a big market for a lot of things like scotch whiskey and cognac is china and what happens with china over the next couple of uh, of years is going to be quite interesting you know the situation with Taiwan and what happens there, and will there be economic consequences if if the Chinese begin to force their hand with Taiwan and all these things, and how will that retaliate? And if they do retaliate, it could be on luxury goods like Scotch whiskey and cognac, which could have a massive impact on exports of that of those products. But in, in terms of drinking back here, not really. Uh, we haven't really seen it come through too much yet, but I fear. Uh, the pebble has been thrown into the pond and the ripples will hit the shore of the spirits drinker at some stage in 2022. Well, there's a, a, a worrying thought. Well, I want to talk about 2022 and your predictions for it. And I also want to go through your highlights from uh, trophy judging at the IWSC as well and talk about uh, what you might be uh, dipping in your Dipping in your glasses? No, putting in your glasses. Um, well, you're dipping. Uh, it's probably going to be in Santo, I suppose. Uh, anyway, we're going to do all of that uh, fairly shortly. But first, here's news of another Food FM programme you might love. Thank you, David. I'm Jenny Linford from Food FM, and I'm exploring the world of cheese, from brie to parmesan and everything in between. So after enjoying the drinking hour, why not listen to my series, A Slice of Cheese? You can find it on your podcast platform and foodfmradio.com. Now back to David and the drinking hour. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. So, Freddie Bulmer from the Wine Society, Joel Harrison, a columnist at Club O, amongst many other things, are with me for this special festive edition of The Drinking Hour. And you are both, respectively for wine and spirits, uh, not just uh, senior judges at the IWSC, but you're on the uh, respective kind of uh, trophy uh, 
determining uh, side of it as well, uh, works in a slightly different way, as we can discuss uh, with uh, spirits and wine. Um, Freddie, first, um, I, uh, for the first time um, this year, um, joined uh, the trophy judging uh, committee uh, to uh, take the uh, the gold medalists and uh, determine uh, which uh, should be awarded uh, trophies. It was a great honour to be there. Um, seriously, quite um, unnerving and intimidating <laughs> in terms of the calibre of fellow judges, I have to say. But um, you were there too, and you've done it before. Um, so just just briefly uh, explain how that works. Yeah. So basically, at the end of all of the uh, the, the the judging we look again at the wines that have won gold medals and it's a it's quite a different process so normally the throughout the rest of the judging you know all the wines are blind uh, they you, you know you're just presented with a glass you don't know uh what the wine is or, or uh, who's produced it uh, and that's still the same with the trophy judging but a key difference is that throughout most of the judging you'll do your tasting on your own you know you're sat in a team but you'll sit you'll taste through the wines in front of you write your notes do your scores on your laptop and then uh, you know look at the scores as a team afterwards and see where something lands obviously there'll be a bit of discussion but is it is it gold silver bronze you know does it not quite um, deserve a medal let's say but the, the trophy judging is a much more sort of conversational experience. So you might present be presented still with, um, you know, a flight of, of, say, 10 glasses of wine. And you'll know that roughly they're all made from the Bordeaux grape varieties, for example. But then we might actually sort of talk as we go through them or, you know, have a quick sniff, have a quick taste and then just pick out our highlights from that flight and see if there's any crossover with the other people on, on your panel. And really what we're looking for is, is a wine from this lineup of gold medal winners uh, that really stands out head and shoulders above the rest. And if it does, then it deserves a trophy. And we're not, we're not looking to find a trophy in every single flight. Uh, there'll be flights where we go, look, they're all really good. They're all definitely worthy of a gold, but actually uh, we don't necessarily believe that one of them is 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 better than all the others. Uh, so we're not trying to force it at all. But um, likewise, every now and again, you have a flight where there's there's three that you think, God, they're so good. You know, they really need to have a have a, a trophy because they they really deserve it. So it's a really interesting process, and I always come away having having learned an awful lot. It's uh, it's a really valuable experience. Yeah, one of my scariest moments of the year, I think, actually, is the very first flight at the very first <laughs> trophy uh, tasting. And I was sitting there on my table. Uh, sadly, you weren't on my table because that would have been a bit more reassuring, a bit more comforting. But uh, uh, Alex Hunt, MW, runs Berkman Wine Cellars, um, yes. famously one of the you know, finest palates in the land, uh, was there <laughs> along with Isabel, Master Sommelier, yes, runs Trivet. Amazing guys. Uh, amazing, amazing uh, judge of wine as well. And um, uh, we uh, we tasted the very first flight of, uh, of, of red wines. As you say, they kind of could be from anywhere and were. And I remember sitting thinking to myself, well, they're all very good. They're gold medalists. But I, I, I'm not sure that any of those is worthy of a trophy. And uh, so I just I hope to God I don't have to speak <laughs> first. Please, please tell me I don't have to speak first. And then um, and then Alex Hunt says, oh, David, why don't you go first as you're a new uh, as, if, as you're the newcomer? <laughs> oh, no. And so I said this. I said, I, I'm really sorry. But unless I'm sort of you know, getting getting this badly wrong, I, I don't actually think there's a trophy here amongst these very, very impressive wines. 
and uh, we went and then I so I said my bit and said why um and then um, and then they both said the same thing and I just thought oh mm. the relief I felt this incredible kind of relief yeah. I was, actually it sort of went slightly hot and I think uh, because the pressure <laughs> is on this is you know this is a big this is a big deal it's it's trophy judging we um we were very fortunate to to taste uh, afterwards uh, once uh, we'd done our done the business if you like and and uh, and, and we could basically um, then have the, uh, the the respective wines revealed and um, there were some amazing things I think I can still um, remember that night in uh, Blanc de Blanc uh, 2018 in Magnum, uh, which we enjoyed yes. over lunch, Freddie. Amazing. Yeah, there was some phenomenal wines. Actually, there was a couple of night wines uh, which came through as trophies that really stood out for me. Because there was, yeah, there was the, the Magnum of 2013 Blanc de Blanc. There was also a bottle of their Tillington single vineyard, tw also 2013, uh, which was which was interesting. So no, they were absolutely delicious. Um, and one other highlight for me, if I may, uh, was actually uh, there was a delicious Margaret River uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, and it's really oh, rewarding. Clarot. Yes, yeah, exactly. That's the one, and because uh, I think it's really rewarding when you've spent, you know, however many months or whatever in your job, uh, being excited about a particular region or a particular vintage or something like that. In this case, you know, I've been really excited about Margaret River's 2018 vintage for some time uh, you know i've had people saying it's uh, winemakers i should say in the region saying this is perhaps the best vintage we've had in 40 years it's really nice to hear that uh, and then do a blind tasting like this where actually one of the wines proves that to be absolutely correct you know it was a stonkingly good wine and it was yeah margaret river 2018 cab sauvignon so it shows that there is um there's method to the madness for sure yeah and uh, a word for rare for their 2008 um uh, champagne as well the uh, uh the vintage champagne because uh, that would be even rarer if it was in my cellar <laughs> i can tell you uh, but uh, joel what about you and the spirit side how do, does the, uh, the the trophy equivalent work on the spirit side it's it's a very similar process so obviously through the judging process you, you score uh the, the the spirits they then are sort of aggregated through the scoring into their category of of medal <clears throat> and then depending on the category if it's gold outstanding or golds those are siphoned off depending on how many there are into uh the trophy rounds and in something like london dry gin you, you get quite a lot in something like pisco or uh you know that sort of side of things where <clears throat> a little bit more uh, there are fewer fewer uh uh uh, medal winners to choose from but you then sit down and it's it's a, it's a process of, uh, of of elimination and I, I sort of limit it to almost like a game of guess who and you know you're sort of sitting around the table and you know does this have a moustache no and then you sort of knock it off and, <laughs> and you end up with a, you end up with two or three sort of suspects at the end from which you choose you know it's a it's a, it's a sort of penalty shootout of, of on the day which one of these takes home the trophy and, and it really is fantastic and as Fred has said it's a much more um involved process i think when you're judging you know you're faced with uh you know four or five flights in a row of 10 you know exo cognacs or something like that <clears throat> you are in your zone you're in your place and, and, and you sit down and you diligently mark them and you 
draw on all your expertise and experience to, to put those marks together. And then you might have a, a tacit discussion about the ones that either fall, you know, either there's a massive disagreement on or there's ones where, where people go, yeah, actually, this is really good. Should we push it up, uh, up or pull it down, you know, in, in, in terms of its, its scoring? Whereas, <clears throat> yeah, it's a much more interactive process that the, 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 the trophy judging and it is great fun. And as, as you've pointed out, I think, David, at the end, you get to see which which these are the first time as judges we get to we get anything revealed to us and um you know and, and that's always a, a wonderful moment where you go wow yeah goodness me that is incredible and, and you know this year i remember the uh the, two, two of my favorite categories armagnac and cognac the the armagnac winner being a 1995 tarake which is a, a you know Armagnac famous for its vintages and uh, and that was just just blew me away not a particularly uh, expensive bottle of, of of Armagnac not that Armagnac is that expensive anyway and then the the, the cognac trophy was taken home by a 50 year old Grand Champagne con cognac uh, bottled by a company called Hermitage and Hermitage run by this beautiful man called David Barker who who is uh, down in uh, uh, he's down in in Wilt down David Baker sorry he's down in in, in, in Wiltshire. And actually I can get the train from where I live all the way along to him and, and hit, hit down into this kind of um, thatched cottage part of Wiltshire where he's he constantly squirrels away parcels of cognac and he visits the region three or four times a year and, and buys uh, and bottles single estate, individual producer, um, very, very rare uh, cognacs. And uh, and he this this man is it's not what you would expect from someone in the middle of Wiltshire to be doing. Uh, it's it's very odd. It's this handshake between rural England and rural France. Um, and his his <laughs> bottlings are incredible. I think that's the second year in a row that he's picked up the the cognac trophy for one of his for one of his cognacs. Yeah, he was an early guest uh, on the drinking hour. So if anyone listening wants to hear more from David Baker, then go back to the uh, mm. first series. I think it's about sort of episode seven or eight because he's absolutely. Um, fascinating um, and actually j just before he came on he he um, he he's, uh, su suffers a little bit with his hearing so I was a bit concerned yeah. that he he wouldn't be able to hear the, the questions uh, because we're not in the same room you can't uh, lip read it <coughs> but um, actually he heard everything um, and uh, he was uh, absolutely um, brilliant fantastic guest and I got some samples sent to me and yeah they were they were amazing so um, great to reflect on um, the, uh, the the trophy judging in in 2020 looking forward to um, 2022 and um, talking of that um, Freddie um, what are the trends that we've seen in 21 and what do you think will um, grow carry forward into 22 that's a really it's a really good question there's been some some trends from 2021 that I would never have seen coming I'll be completely honest I mean at the wine society we've sold so much port you wouldn't believe <laughs> I mean who'd have thought um and so and champagne as well champagne's gone like the clappers I mean it's fantastic it's great to see and I think maybe it does go back to what we were talking about earlier where people are finding themselves at home they've got a bit more uh, disposable income because they're not going out to eat and so on and they're, they're going well come on we're going to have a proper dinner at home maybe we'll make a Negroni beforehand and then we're going to have the whole shebang and have some port and cheese at the end and so on and um and, and so that's been really really interesting to see that might well continue on into to next year um i think a lot of it does depend on 
the the L word lockdown and so on if uh, if anything like that was to happen again Roan has also gone really really well has been um, a string of great vintages for the Rhone so that's meant that there's been you know fantastic quality wines in recent years year on year and that has really built up some momentum so I think Rhone will probably continue to be strong going into next year especially since there's the uh, 2020 uh, vintage which is which is kind of very much on the way um, for the more sort of serious reds. Uh, so that I think is going to keep the Rhone ball rolling. Um, but another obvious one, I think for next year will probably be, I think anyway, um, something like South African Sauvignon because I mean, as, as we've discussed previously, David, there's uh, a shortage of, of New Zealand Sauvignon and we haven't quite felt the full effects of that yet. We probably will come the sort of spring or summer. Uh, so therefore, people will probably be looking for similar styles of Sauvignon at the similar sort of prices uh, and find themselves in somewhere like South Africa instead. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's a, a booming year next year for, for South African Sauvignon and, uh, and maybe even Chilean too, to be honest. Actually, what they're doing in South Africa with Sauvignon Blanc in terms of bringing it, um, uh, creating a style that will feel more familiar to uh, drinkers uh, who, who love uh, Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc. I've tasted a, a few. Um, I mean, Chile's doing it as well. Um, but the ones that have really um, sort of struck a chord for me that have, have really been winners have been from South Africa. Uh, it's pretty mm. amazing, Freddie, they can do that, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's pretty um, it's pretty impressive, you know. And I think it's there's, uh, there's there's never been a better time for good wine in the world, frankly. Uh, you know, and winemaking techniques and practices and so on have never been better than they are today you know so that does mean that it's, it's it's a great time to be a wine explorer and it's also uh you know if you've been a fan of new zealand sauvignon it's also the best time in some ways to have a shortage because you know that what you're going to go on and try instead is probably going to be absolutely delicious as well and uh so yeah this stuff is all all ripe for discovery so um mm. you know it might just force people to branch out a little bit more yeah, well, that's that's good to hear as well. Um, <laughs> and uh, Joel, um, what about we talked about the big trend drinking at home cocktails at home? Uh, what else um, have you seen in 21? And what do you think is going to um, sort of power on into 2022? It's funny, there's uh, every year, every year people talk about the rise of rum and or oh, is rum going to be the new sipping spirit, aged rums coming from different parts of the world. <clears throat> that always bubbles around, but it never seems to bubble over into real sort of tangible high-end sales. But I have this year been uh, trying more rums and rums of better quality. And, and that, that's quite interesting, but I still think we're away from people understanding the complexity of rum. A lot For a lot of people, rum is just a white spirit that you put in a mojito or you mix into a daiquiri so i think <clears throat> rum keep that on the back burner maybe for yet, yet another few a, a few years but i think that will come through at some stage yes more cocktail ingredients of course vermouth sales are up a third i was reading the other day i think the fact that people are experimenting more with with, with things like fortified wines so stronger than stronger than your normal wines but lower abv than than classic uh, spirits and I think, you know, vermouth and tonic is a great drink. If you're at home and you're looking for something that's not quite as aggressive, even a, a white port and tonic, I think if, you know, absolutely fantastic. I was drinking that the other night. It's lower ABV than a gin and tonic, but still packed full of flavor. Really great. So I think that's one for me, but really the big trends, 
Um, I think gin isn't going anywhere. I think people want to experiment more with gin. They're finding more gin cocktails to make at home and drink, drink gin in different ways. Old whiskey. I've seen a real flurry of, uh, of older whiskies coming through. When I say old, I mean sort of 21 years old plus. Um, and I think that's because there was a bit of a, a downturn in whiskey sales in the in the 1980s and production fell off a cliff a little bit into the 80s and into the 90s. And now what we're seeing is a comeback of of, of a decent stocks of whiskey where people can start to release older bottlings of so the um, the wine society did brilliant 1991 vintage. I think it was just recently. Yes. Um, yeah. Space Eyed single malt, which was which is excellent. Uh, currently mid through a bottle of that. So <laughs> yes, congratulations. <I> Very good. <laughs> uh, so, you know, but, but at reason, you know, at, except, at, at acceptable prices as well, these these products coming through, and, and I think so. I think that's going to be a, a, a nice trend. And then another good one for me is um, single estate cognacs. I think there were there's there's a huge you know the majority of cognac sales around the world are driven by the big cognac houses, and the big cognac houses buy their spirit and their grapes through negotiations, through small farmhouse producers. Not many of them distill. They are blenders, they're blending houses. But a lot of these smaller distiller, d- distillers and grape growers are starting to put their own uh, cognacs in, in, in bottle. And, you know, it's, it's the classic sort of, you know, they'll, they'll make a, a 500 litres for a big cognac house and then they'll make 200 litres for their own cellar. And those are starting to be bottled and see the light of day. Like we said, people like Hermitage and, and, and David uh, Baker do it, do, you know, picking these out, but they're doing them themselves now. And I think that's going to be a real interesting movement this year to see some of the big cognac houses as well, choosing individual producers uh, under their own wing to, to, to bottle and use the power of their marketing to get those, to get those out there. And, and we'll start to see a bigger focus on that, which is going to be great. Yeah, interesting. Look forward to that. So final question uh, for you, Joel. Um, What will we find you drinking uh, this Christmas day? Wow, that's a that's a good question. (laughs) So this this Christmas day, I've I've lined my journey up where I'm going to be drinking uh, some English sparkling wine. Um, I'm going to be drinking some tawny port from the year of my birth, which I was given a couple of years ago, 1979 on on my 40th birthday. And uh, a couple of bottles very kindly given to me. Um, by Colin Hamden White, actually the the the, the drinks oh. writer, oh, and uh, so yes. I I know very nice guy. <laughs> so I'll be opening I'll be opening one of those, and then spirits wise, I'll be having a number three gin martini, um, and I will be finishing it with a, probably something like a Beaumont eighteen, something with a little bit of floral peat, just by the fireside to see the day out. Ooh, that sounds very that sounds, nice. That sounds, that sounds spot great. on. <laughs> you're, you're lucky to have something uh, something good from your birth year as well. My birth year is 1972, which is one of the, the worst vintages of anything in, in, in human history, I, I think. <laughs> I, I once was talking to the uh, veteran uh, wine writer, Margaret Rand, and I said, is there um, anything good from my birth year? And she said, what's your birth year? I said, 1972. She said, she looked at me aghast and said, it was uniformly terrible. And, uh, <laughs> and she's right, that's, it was. You know, it was been, absolutely terrible. It was, uh, it was a good good vintage, clearly, for drinks writers and presenters, David. Oh, thanks. Come on. Very, oh, you're, 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 you're as smooth as an eel. Uh, well, what can I say? Uh, <laughs> what are you going to be drinking uh, this Christmas? 
Oh, I've got a few things lined up. I've just turned around because my sort of uh, collection is building behind me. I've got um, a, a magnum that I'm very excited about, which is a Gruner magnum from lovely little producer called Reiner Vess, little family winery. And oh, they did some yes. magnums especially for us at the wine yeah, society. And you so, love your Gruner, don't you? As well? I love my Gruner. It's yeah. the best wine to have with your with your Christmas main feast because you've got the acidity. It's so, it's so good at... at being a versatile food wine it's got body but it's got acidity it's lovely it's great so i've got that which is good um i'm gonna have to pick out just a few highlights because the 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 um list is alarmingly long i don't think i'm going to remember much of christmas i've got um sylvan Patai, uh bourgoin rouge um 2017 actually it's it's i think the best value uh, red burgundy out there i mean it's just bloody delicious frankly i've got a couple of old australian bits got some old um uh tyrrell's vat one semion from 2009 that'll be nice and then probably the best value uh so turn i've ever tasted which was um a wine society special bottling that we've released uh, only ooh, a month or so ago a few weeks ago uh and it was uh it's made by uh, one of the great names of of Sauterne, uh, but we're not allowed to say who it is, and it's not on the label. But it's it was sort of eighteen mm. pounds for a seventy five cl bottle, so that should go down nicely. So that's um, those bits plus many more, and I'll probably finish off the 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 um, whiskey, the nineteen ninety one Wine Society bottling as well with my dad. Uh, so oh, nice. uh, yeah, it's going to yes. be good. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and your dad can mix one of his Negronis, you know. Yes, I yes, well. of course. I told you by email. Yes, going going back to your point, Joel. Yes, yeah. absolutely. My dad is uh, no doubt helping the uh, the sales of uh, gin and Campari and vermouth because he's gone nuts on make at home <laughs> Negronis. I mean, uh, yeah, I love them though, so I'm not complaining. Yeah. Well, with everything else you've got, maybe don't have one of those. Yes, true. I think I said to you, try, try, try switching out the gin for yes. uh, the slow gin. And, yes, uh, absolutely. You know, uh, uh, this time of year, I, I was back seeing my parents this weekend and my mum thrust a bottle of well, Cotswold <laughs> slow gin because uh, they live in the Cotswolds. Cotswold slow oh, gin good into, my, as well. into my hand. And, yeah. yeah, and it's uh, you know very good. And, and uh, so, yeah, just dial down the sweet vermouth a little bit. Uh, just by, good idea. Uh, just by a drizzle because of the sweetness of, of that. But, you know, I would recommend that. David, what are you going to be drinking at Christmas? I'm well, um, I'm being like. hosted. I'm being hosted by a very good friend of mine who um, actually inherited his father's wine collection. Um, oh, my word. And, which, is, which is not bad. It, this makes it sound like to the man born or something. It's, it's not. It was a relatively modest collection, I think. But all the same, um, his birth year is a really good vintage. It's 1961. And oh. um, and so um, there are quite a few um, sort of treats from Bordeaux uh, in 1961 in that particular cellar. And Lovely. I am told um, that we'll be having some of them. So I don't actually <laughs> know uh, what they'll be, uh, but they will be uh, 1961. And I'm going to take along um, the, uh, some champagne. I think I'm going to take along some uh, 2008 Paul Roger uh, vintage Ooh, um, nice. Uh, champagne. Nice. So that's, that's nice. Absolutely delicious. That will be stonkingly yeah. good. It sounds like you're in for a good Fit one. For a a Churchillian Christmas, by the sound of it. Well, yes. indeed, exactly. Yes, I, I, he drank forty-two thousand bottles over his lifetime, apparently. So I've got some way oh to God. go to uh, to rival him. I'll, I'm going to be working on it this Christmas. I can yes. assure you. Keep uh, chipping away at it. You'll get there. Yeah. You'll get there. I believe in you. It's a tough job, but someone's got to do it. Um, Joel, yeah. Freddie, uh, it's been a total pleasure. Um, thank you very much. 
Have a wonderful Christmas and thank you for your amazing contributions to the Drinking Hour this year as well. Thanks, David. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And Joel, it's been lovely to be able to chat with you as well. So, uh, and you too. Yes, it's been great. Cheers. (laughs) And thank you too for listening to us. Uh, We began this in the spring of 2020. I'm delighted to say thanks to Food FM and the IWSC, we shall be continuing into 2022. So, do tune in for our first episode of the year on January the 7th, when the chief, Richard Siddle, will be joining us for his uh, predictions for uh, the drinks industry in uh, 2022. Until then, wherever you are, stay safe, have a great Christmas, and here's to a happy new year. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world.